Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Nieper, your host. And today we're going to join a conversation with uh, Jeremy Jack, um, who is located in Mississippi. Uh, Jeremy and their family farm operation is, and I believe the name of the farm operation is Silent Shade, but I'll let him correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, they're actually 2023 Top Producer of the Year candidates. So, Jeremy, how are things going? Things are doing well. Things are doing well. We are in the middle of uh, our winter, which uh, for us in the Delta means it's uh, it's cold for two days and warm for three days, and then the rotation starts over again. Well, I'm in. I'm now based in Colorado. My my wife forced me to move to Colorado to be closer to the grandkids, and it can be cold in Colorado. But the nice thing about it, it's sunny almost every day, so I, I don't mind cold weather as long as I got some sunshine. That makes that's all the difference in the world. Now, did I get the name of the farm operation correct, or did I mess it up? No, that is correct. Uh, the name yeah. of our operation is Silent Shade Planning Company. Uh, the name comes from uh, when my parents moved to the Mississippi Delta from southern Ontario, Canada. They moved to a farm that's uh, the name of it was Silent Shade, and uh, it's uh, nostalgic, you want to call it, or exquisite, but it's the uh, it's the name we stuck with, and it's kind of it's done as well. Okay, well, good, good. And again, you are top producer candidates. Uh, by the time this airs, we'll find out who the winner is. So I don't know if you're the winner or not, but you you definitely uh, are in the running. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's a, it's a, quite the honor to be uh, even in the running or to be uh, uh, nominated and um, uh, selected and uh, for the uh, this uh, great honor to be in the, the mix. is um, It's great. You look at the people that have been in or in that position prior to us those are uh titans of the industry yeah and and there are no losers it's just happens we do have to know we have to pick one but uh yes the other two are just as qualified so it, it's Absolutely. just one of those things so we always like to start off with with your background uh, uh so let's go ahead and you know as far as education where you grew up and all that good stuff Yes, sir. So uh, um, we're in the Mississippi Delta, uh, uh, and uh, I went to uh, Mississippi State University, made a, a stop, uh, a short uh, pit stop at our local community college there for a year and a half, and then transferred to Mississippi State University. Uh, I played football through uh, my entire career, and I, I used the word played as I was on the team. There was guys that actually played in the games, and there was me that played a lot in practices. Uh, but it was a good time, and uh, I enjoyed it. I was able to letter two years in the SEC, and uh, really enjoyed that time. And it kept me uh, in school and kept me uh, really focused, uh, which was great. Uh, I got my undergrad in uh, 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 Ag Econ, and then I, I, I got my master's in Ag Business, and I focused a lot in Ag Policy uh, with my master's. Now, I got to ask you, what position did you play in football? I was a defensive end. Okay. Defensive end, and I always used the uh, the terminology or uh, the story of the guy. A friend of mine was uh, the offensive tackle, and every day at practice, I practiced against him. And he went to go play for the Tennessee Titans for millions of dollars, and I came back to the farm. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I it was all of my practice that helped him get to where he needed to go. <laughs> 
my my youngest son who looks a lot like me um, matter of fact looks too much like me maybe um he played high school football in high school rugby and he was starting center and starting d tackle and the best game he ever had i was up in the mountains backpacking i come home and find out that as a d tackle he had a interception a fumble recovery and miss scoring a touchdown by a yard so you know that was the game i missed so i i always look back on that i wish i had picked uh, at least had been there for that one exactly exactly it was it was good times and it was fun and uh it taught me a lot of discipline because it's a, it's a lot of hard work the, the longer you play it's like going to school the longer you go to school the harder it gets the longer you play a sport the harder it gets and yep. uh it taught a lot of discipline for me and it kept me out of trouble i had after my last semester of uh, graduate school, I didn't have was the only semester of college I didn't play a sport, and I had no idea college was that much fun. So <laughs> it's probably a good reason I didn't know that earlier on in the in the in the uh, the uh, my time there, my tenure there. So, uh, but yeah, w when I left there, I actually went to uh, uh, Washington D.C. and was uh, able to work uh, with Center Thad Cochran. Uh, that's where I I met my my wife, and then uh, I moved back to the. Uh, operation and then uh, uh and then been here ever since okay well and let's 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 then uh dive into what is the farm operation what does it look like when did it start i think you already mentioned that a little bit but uh how did it start uh, what's the current status the size and crops that you grow and all that good stuff yeah so we're uh my parents it's it's originated my parents moved from Southern Ontario. They had a family farm oper operation there and they're an hour to the other side of Detroit around a town named Chatham and a very urbanized area. And there wasn't a large, large tracts of land that could grow where they could grow the operation. A lot of people worked in the town and wanted to have a house and small piece of land to farm on the weekends. So they took the, uh, uh, the uh, a globe and looked everywhere in the world and where can you get large tracts of land great resources and a friendly government and you end up in the mississippi delta <laughs> so they they moved down this way and uh, they moved to a farm uh named silent shade plantation they uh they moved there and they started growing uh they learned how to grow cotton now their background was in livestock grain and vegetables so they uh they've never had never grown cotton or never grown rice before so dad learned how to grow those crops and uh through uh corn and uh uh, soybeans into the mix and uh, had a rotation of four crops and uh, still today you know that was a thousand acres they started with and today we're 11,500 acres we still grow cotton corn soybeans and rice we grow our rice and a, and soybeans in a one-year rice two-year soybean rotation we grow our cotton and our corn in a one-to-one -one rotation and uh, we've we've grown wheat in the past um, if the market is if we need to we can still grow wheat um, We've grown peanuts, and then we realized we didn't have enough the, the correct style dirt for peanuts. That uh, belongs in parts of Arkansas and then Georgia, and along the you have to get what they call what we consider beach sand for peanuts. So we we learned that we don't have beach sand on our farm, and uh, uh, yeah, we're, so it's a family operation. I work with uh, my sister, uh, who was our CFO. Uh, you'll enjoy this. She was a practicing accounting accountant, and. Uh, she had two young uh, uh, girls and her husband traveled a lot for work. And I convinced her that if she came to the farm, she could have flexible hours and uh, work part time. And 
she has flexible hours, but there is no part time. <laughs> we, well, it just means she doesn't have to work twenty hours during tax season. So exactly, that's, that's, exactly. Yeah. She has that flexibility that she can go and do as long as that things get done. And our, uh, now her girls are in and um, graduate in high school and getting ready to go to college. So it's a fun time in her life and that she has that availability. And we work really close with each other. Uh, she grew up working on the farm. And uh, and then uh, my wife, Elizabeth, is also in the operation. She uh, does our human resources, our public relations and safety and compliance. She says we just gave her everything we didn't want to do. Uh, <laughs> but it, it fits her uh, fits her personality and her skill set very, very well. So. Um, I always tell people they gang up on me all the time and don't let me do what I want to do. <laughs> well, believe me, you would never want put me in charge of HR. That would be the <laughs> the worst thing you could ever put me in charge of. I think so. Uh, and I but, think a lot a lot of people uh, discount the the importance of HR in today's time. That's the one thing I think is going to be the limiting uh, piece. And over my career, what I've seen is uh, you know the right people and doing the right things are just it's yep. they're happy everyone's happy they're super productive you get the wrong person or the wrong person doing the wrong thing everything just implodes and with compliance the way it is today and using h2a programs i don't we couldn't survive without someone in that role full full time yeah well it's just like you know one one bad apple you know you have a spoiled apple in a box of apples it's going to spoil the whole thing so it's the same with one bad employee can definitely ruin the the workforce for you Exactly, exactly. So we, we, we have the farm and then we also have a trucking company also. So we run eight commercial trucks. And um, overall, we're about 30 people uh, fully staffed in the operation. And um, like I said, we have someone that manages the trucks. We, I have farm managers. So we have a, a hierarchy of, uh, of, of, of a team that uh, allows us to do numerous different things and be um, successful, successful with it. On the trucking business, are you primarily uh, trucking ag products or are you doing other products? I'm just curious on that. It's it's ag and aggregate, I would say. Uh, we're, uh, uh, we haul, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of grown, but our, uh, the main focus is to make sure our crops come out of the field, into the bins and out of the bins safely and efficiently and uh, very effectively. So where the operation never has to halt waiting for a truck. But we also haul fertilizer, dry and liquid. Uh, we haul aggregates uh, for like so. We're they're building a believe it or not they're building a dollar another Dollar General in our store, and we're hauling the dirt in for that. We're hauling <laughs> gravel for the side of a uh, a highway job, and we're hauling millings. So it just kind of we haul everything in the local area. Uh, we'll get ready for our liquid tanker season. That'll be in the spring. In the summer, we usually pave roads or uh, build help build buildings, do the foundation work for for buildings and then uh once uh, the fall starts it's it's our crops lime uh fertilizer cotton bales uh cotton modules and then uh in the winter time it's uh doing uh, road projects and or filling fertilizer tanks hauling corn to chicken feed mills we have eight trucks but we have 40 trailers so it depends right. on what everybody needs that day we yep. can do yeah now do you have your own uh, grain storage or or do you just haul directly out of the field to to the elevator? We have our own grain storage uh, and we have a, a, a corn. We have a dryer 
and uh, we uh, we need to expand the uh, uh, the amount of storage we have. Uh, what we're running into is we had a bunch of bins, and but what we're seeing is they're smaller bins, inefficient, and it's costing us too much to maintain them and to run them. So we're in the process of shutting down the smaller, inefficient bins and growing to larger, bigger bins to hold more grain. Put a more um, you have a larger facility that only takes one or two people to run instead of having a small a bunch of facility that takes a team of people to run. Yep. Yeah. So we can yeah. we store as much as we can, and um, and it and uh, we can it's flexible because we can haul corn, soybeans, or rice in majority of our bins. Okay. Uh, you know, it's curious out in uh, you know I grew up in Washington State and. I was looking at the on-farm storage report that came out, I think it was on Friday of last week, and uh, of the wheat, there's like 150 million bushels of, of wheat on hand in Washington State. Only 7 million of it is actually on the farm. 143 million is, is at a cooperative or at a private elevator. It's just interesting, out in that neck of the woods, there's very little on-farm storage. You come to the Delta or the Midwest, and there's a lot more on-farm storage. Yes, yes, and the historically, the Delta has not had a lot of storage. A lot of the smaller bins were for drying rice and holding rice, but our soybeans need to get to New Orleans as quickly as they can. Every day we hold on to them, uh, they're worth less. Yep. The problem is, is everybody's in that same boat. And there's a huge bottleneck getting the soybeans down to New Orleans as fast as we can. Our corn pace, because we have a huge to store because they have a big uh, chicken industry in our region, uh, but the the infrastructure for grain is not in the Delta the way it should be because this was no, notoriously cotton country, uh, and um, you know fifteen dollar beans and uh, seventy or eighty cent cotton you're going to grow soybeans, yeah. um, and uh, that's that's uh, the, the the nature of the beast and. But we don't have that infrastructure and no one really wants to put an infrastructure in, but we just need we need a faster. We need the river to stay full and the barges to flow and more loadout facilities up and down the river to get them, get them to the export market as quickly as we can. What would be just for the listeners out there? What would your basis be on corn and soybeans? Oh, it's it, it varies uh, from a positive, uh, a huge positive basis to a huge negative basis, depending on what time of uh, when you're um, uh, uh, looking at them. So we try to uh, um, uh, watch it just like we do our uh, the commodity price. So um, um, last year we had probably a uh, almost a dollar swing from a positive to a negative basis uh, mm. last year and uh and soybeans um, um corn were normally a, a a positive basis but there was still a 50 cent swing last year so that gives you an idea we can go from and then in 21 there was a dollar swing in corn basis uh so it you kind of watch it the best you can um uh, pick the uh the the right time to get your basis and uh Sometimes you book your basis, but you don't book your price, and sometimes you go the other way around. Right, right, right. So, so if you have negative basis, you might lock in the price and wait for the basis to come back. And if you got very good basis, you lock in the basis, but the price might not be good. That's correct. And uh, the one thing that we do and how we market our crop, and I'm um, very fortunate to this, is uh, uh, Stacy, my sister, she markets all the, the corn and the soybeans. Uh, 
and then the the cotton and the the rice has gone through pools uh, with staple cotton and with producers rice meal, but she markets all the crops. So I don't have to get emotional or worry what the crop's doing. She comes in, she looks at the crop, she visits with, uh, uh, we worked with uh, uh, Mark Gold for years, a top third, and then uh, who I think you just had on your, your podcast. And um, uh, now is now Stone X, but uh, we've worked with them and just kind of looks at it as a very, I say, accountant point of view. It's yep. yes or no. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, and they've had multiple studies that say that women are better marketers than us guys are on the farm. And I, I believe it because they don't get as emotionally attached to that rice, corn, soybeans, whatever it might be. Nope, nope. She has our cost of production sitting right there. And she looks at the price and says it's above, it's time. If it's below, it's not time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hopefully, and, and and again, I've listened to Mark talk a couple times, and he, I think he said even in the worst years, you know, Mother Market has always provided at least one point in time where you can actually exceed your cost of production. So even in the really bad years, there's always at least one day. The problem is you, that day might last for about 10 seconds, and then three days later, it's way below. So you just don't know. And because we have the bins, we start selling our crop early in the season. So we've sold a good bit of 23 crop already. And we, we market it throughout the entire season. And then we'll even store some in bins to market even later into the season to give us a much bigger window to to uh, market that crop out. Okay. And definitely your your farm has grown over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm, I'm just curious, if you look back at it, uh, what what do you think you and your and your parents did right and what did you maybe do wrong you know the one thing i feel like we did right is we grew the farm and uh we we had the idea of we'll take on good opportunities uh when they come to you uh and uh we took every good opportunity and then we had to get to the point where it was like okay we can't take good opportunities we have to take great opportunities because we're just getting inundated with good opportunities and i feel like there's still more out there you just have to be careful of you can easily dive into gestion uh, when you start to grow. Uh, and I'll say the the one thing that we missed the most was the uh, uh, and it's not because no one ever told us. We just didn't listen or didn't understand it as well as we probably should have. But the uh, uh, the amount of capital needed to uh, when you grow an operation. It, it the, your capital requirements grow so much. And I think some of that was. Uh, um, inflationary times, um, we built some infrastructure, uh, but just the amount of money that it takes to grow a larger operation is, it's not just uh, so many dollars per acre, it seems like it's bigger, uh, you're exponentially the amount of uh, working capital you need, needed for uh, a larger farm. And the yeah. other thing is we, we started growing more corn, I mean, growing more cotton and growing more rice a couple of those years where those were as I told someone, you're you're paying everyone for your inputs early, and then everyone's paying for you back. So we might be into we just we're just finishing up our 2021, or we just finished up our 2021 crop season, and we're already heavily into our 23 crop season. So you're growing three crops at one time, and that gets to be very difficult from a cash flow standpoint. And uh, the amount of working capital need was what we did wrong. We we missed that point, and that was a not easy to manage that when you get through there but uh, uh, a good uh, a good person on staff that can manage cash flow is worth their weight in gold yeah and that's what your sister's there for 
And that's what she's there for. And she walks in my office numerous times and looks at me and I'm like, what I do. (laughs) But it's, uh, it's, and and it's having that relationship to where, you know, it's not someone did right. Someone did wrong. We, we, we sat here, we discussed this, we missed this. All right, let's find, let's find a, let's find a solution to the problem. Let's make sure we don't get ourselves back in here, but let's work our way out of that. And I think that's where, uh, if you look at my parents, they moved in 79 and 80 to the Mississippi Delta, which was a great time to move if you don't count like 82 to 86, <laughs> <laughs> which was when I was born. And uh, uh, they worked their way through it. And I think that's the one thing is uh, we've learned as operation, mistakes are going to happen. You solve those mistakes, you fi- you find out a plan, you figure out a plan to get, uh, work your way out of it, and you work the plan and go forward. And uh, that's been one of our successes, I would say, as an operation. Uh, so on the failure side or what you did wrong, again, that was probably related to the, the lack of working capital, or was there other things that you maybe, hey, I wish we could have done that over and maybe not had that pain? I think that, that was the the biggest thing we did was the uh, uh, the working capital piece. We did we were very fortunate right before we started having great opportunities. We had gone I, I had gone to TPAP, Stacey and Elizabeth both went to TPAP and we uh, we learned a lot of foundational things. We we learned about cash flow, but we apparently uh, fell asleep uh, or forgot those notes. But <laughs> <laughs> but we we had learned of how to structure a business out put our employee handbooks in place and had so we, we did a lot of things right but that was the one piece that really i would say looking back if i could have and I, you know it's uh, well, i think we're also we grew and then we had the very the, the successes of the 2012 and 2013 and then after that we had a bunch of really hard cropping seasons in a row we had six years of very difficult growing season with with low prices and then the trade war and then COVID. Yeah. And it just, it seems like it was like, okay, are we ever going to get back to normal or whatever normal used to be? Um, and uh, I think that was the uh, thing is it, it, it drew that process out because we were growing through all, all, all that. And um, I don't know how we would, you know, looking back, I told someone we probably would, I hope we would have still taken the same, opportunities i think we could probably pump the brakes on some projects or watch things a little bit more carefully uh uh, on the working capital side of it but uh we 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 were able to push through uh, by working together and i think the one thing we did wrong like i said was missing the mark on that but we we were very fortunate to have a bunch of uh mentors and classes and conferences that we went to and were able to work together to to come up with a plan to how we were going to analyze that and do that, um, the growth. Yeah. Well, and again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I mean, uh, 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 and uh, you know, I've heard this saying, and I say it all the time, especially to my kids or to my wife. You know, in life, it's not the destination; it's the journey. And part of that journey, you're going to have some oops along the way, but that's how you learn. Exactly. Exactly. I've, I've been. I've been saying that uh, a lot here recently, almost with everybody, and I've I've learned in life it's it's you never get to that one point, no matter what you're working on. Just enjoy the ride and learn learn as you go. Yep, yep. Well, Jeremy, uh, we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor message, then we're going to come back and talk about uh, maybe some of the succession plans, how the farm got transferred from 
your parents to you and what the plan is to maybe go to the next generation and then end up with a few other questions and, and so on and so forth. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi of Blue Diamond Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, RoboAgri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgri Finance. Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neefer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Jeremy Jack from the Mississippi Delta. Uh, so, Jeremy, your parents came from from Canada in the late 70s, early 80s, and, and then you and your sister and so on came along. Um, how has that transition gone from them to you? It, it's a really, really well um Interesting enough, and I don't know if it was this, this happened or dad always had this, this thought process, but when I was in my, when I was graduating undergrad, uh, my father came down with cancer and I had thyroid cancer. And um, I remember uh, graduating, helping him get the crop, uh, the, the cotton planted. Uh, I don't think I think I came in after the cotton was planted and helping him get the crop. And I, I skipped my first summer session of graduate school and he came back and he felt good. And I was ready to go back. So then I jumped back into uh, uh, college. Uh, was going through my master's. A year later, he had a relapse. And, you know, usually when you have a relapse, it's, that's not good. Um, so he went back in. I graduated. Jumped right back in. Took him a little while to uh, uh, bounce back from the second round. And then um, helped him finish that crop out. Um, that winter, I went to Washington, D.C., for a little while and then uh, i'd say the, the operation his being two years of cancer was really uh, was tough on him and as at a, at a certain point he kind of looked and said hey if you want to come back and farm let's come back and farm but if you don't you, you know you might want to make a career somewhere else because i don't know if i'm going to be farming or i'm going to be alive and um and uh, i looked at it i've been washing for not long but i just i had a feeling that's <clears throat> that was not really how i wanted to raise kids now i wasn't married or did i have kids but i just kind of felt like that was not the environment that i wanted to to raise a family and live the rest of my life i enjoyed the farm i enjoyed what it brought to my family growing up as a, as a child and i wanted to be able to do that so i i came back to the farm and uh um, ended up getting married and dad said, as soon as I came back, he's like, you've got to learn how to run this place and you've got to figure out how to buy me out because I've gotten older. My thought process is differently. I don't have, I look at things the wrong way. You're young, you're energetic. You look at things the, uh, the way the operation should be moving. Let's start transferring things. Let's start transferring management over to you. 
And uh, then we started hitting some growth. And I, I went to my, my, my sister and uh, she joined in. And uh, that really, we divided up uh, the, the, the jobs and she took half and I took the other half and I did more of the operations and she did the uh, accounting, financial, um, uh, marketing of the crops, insurance, et cetera. And then uh, we hit some more growth and then we could see, well, we got a lot of, we have a lot of people working with us now. So then we brought Elizabeth back and we could see the, the not only the human resource size, but we were getting to a size to where we need uh, someone working on the perception of the operation. Uh, and uh, she came in, she built our website, did our social media, do, does our newsletter, all those things. And it was kind of grew, but my parents had that foresight. To, we need to be in charge, not them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that was not always easy at times because, you know, when you're young, you know everything. I always tell people, I wish I knew what I knew 15 years ago. Man, I was brilliant. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, uh, there was a lot of, you know, mistakes and a lot of times where they were still there and we were able to rely on them. And I'm not saying they just walked in one day and turned it over to us, but each year they did more. And uh, it's now they're to the point it's like, well, we've got to go find us a hobby. We got to find out what we're going to retire. And they're enjoying the retired. Dad actually, uh, this year had, it had been 15 years with, uh, uh, cancer free. And he actually had pancreatic cancer this year, went through the treatments of all that. And now he's currently in Florida, uh, uh, enjoying life for the, uh, for a couple of weeks. So he's, he's bounced off back good from that, but he always said, I don't know how long I'll be here. I don't want you taking over the farm at 50 or 60 years old. You need to know how to run the farm as soon as possible and and buy it out and have the driving force. So as I told uh, someone the other day, now here I am, young, taking over the farm. And I got to start looking at uh, my replacement, start grooming my replacement uh, here pretty soon because uh, I'm, I'm just a couple of years away from retirement now. <laughs> but I think that is having youth in the operation uh, his dad told him the first third of your career, you have your ideas. The second third of your career, you implement them. And the third uh, part of your career, you just defend what you've done. And he didn't want our operation to get to the point where they're just defending, well, we did it this way or this is the way we used to do it. It needs to have new ideas being gen- generated and then implemented constantly. So do you or Stacy then have, you know, think kids that want to come back to the farm or, or where are you at in that process? So she has a, a couple of daughters. One's getting ready to graduate this year and one I think is in the ninth, eighth, ninth grade. Uh, so there's a little bit of time there. I have two kids. One's a, a seven-year-old and one's a seven-year-old boy and a, and a five-year-old girl. Uh and uh, we always said, Thomas, my son, he wants to farm or he wants to be a garbage truck driver. It's it's, it's one day it's one, one day it's the next. Uh, so we we've got we've got some time. Uh, yeah. I, I I I never want to force anyone. I don't want my kids to feel like they have to come back to the farm. I want them to feel like if this is what they truly want, we'll give them an opportunity to to uh, come into the farm and, and take over it if that's what their, if their skill set is, uh, is dialed to that and that's what they truly want to do. We want to give them that, that opportunity. Even if it's not what they want to do, it's not what they and, and encourage, they can have ownership, but not necessarily have to run it. And we can hire someone to, to run it and move it on. Uh, we have a really good group of uh, a team that we've built up. So 
I'll, I'll look at the operation as I have my kids that my family that I take care of, but I have all these other people that we are obligated to, to provide mm-hmm. a good career for, for them and their families. And I almost feel like I, uh, as, as we grow and expand and have more things, we've been able to create better careers in our business. And that's exciting for me too. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, what because i've done a couple other podcasts and some of the theme that's coming through is if you don't have family that's going to take over the operation but you have very good employees you can bring them in you maybe bring them as some ownership or whatever it might be but it seems like as these operations get larger and like you say require more capital and more management that that seems to be a theme that might be happening down the road yes yes I, I think that's the not everyone's built to farm and uh, running a farm, a larger farm is a it's a different style. You know, I don't as I told someone, I don't always have that luxury of getting on a tractor and just sitting there driving and enjoying the process of that. I said like, that's that right there equals like, you know, a therapy session with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh I always put on my, um, you know, they'll ask about my bio and I'll, I'll do the bio. And then at the end I go, and Paul even enjoys getting some combine and tractor time when he can. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's, that's, that's a, that's a good day when you can get behind the wheel and do something for a little while. Every, every once in a while, the family will be out of town and I'll come in on a Saturday and, uh, get on the front end loader and do a gravel job or a dirt job or something. And I just, it's just, it's fun to get to do that. We get to, this job is very rewarding. We get to work with some of the best people. We got some of the most technology, technological advanced toys there are yeah. in the market. And uh, it's just exciting and fun. Seth, if I came down to your neck of the woods and, and operated a combine, I'd probably be a little bored because I'm not going to slide down a hill anywhere in the Delta that I'm aware of. You, you will not slide in the hill in the Delta. That is for sure. But if I do put you in, in a rice field, you'll probably get stuck. Well, <laughs> so, that's, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of water floating around. We have our, we have our, own, we have our fun down here too. Uh, but no, you don't, there's our, was I told someone, uh, we, uh, elevation changes in, in inches or centimeters here, not feet or yards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's because where I grew up, uh, the home place, I had uh, the 150-acre field from the house up to the top of the hill. There's 450 feet of elevation change. So uh, that might be more than all of Mississippi has. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think there's a I'm, I don't think there's 100 feet from the bottom of the delta to the top of the delta. <laughs> <laughs> So we're getting close to the end of the conversation here. This has been great so far, but uh, I guess uh, if you look back on your career, who would you think your your key mentor was? You know, the the, the I've had. It's hard to put just one person in uh, in that role because I've had so many different people from teachers to coaches to uh, professors that, that that led the way and I could l- list out hundreds of p- different people you know one person that really came I think is at a pivotal time in my life um, Danny Kleinfelter when uh, I was at Texas A&M they had overbooked or something around the rooms in the hotel they didn't have enough of them so had, like five of us had to drive 
45 minutes to another hotel every morning and every night. So we sat there for seven days and there was a group of farmers and Danny drove back and forth, which he was not really the best driver in the world, but just the <laughs> con- he was great at making great conversation. And uh, him and what he did for TPAP was a pivotal point in my life where I turned from um, uh, op- uh, just doing farm work to running the farm. So it's the idea of working the farm and running the farm. And that's where that was a pivotal time in my life. And then I'll, I'll think of um, uh, Marsha Taylor, who you probably remember passed away yep. a couple of years ago. Yep. She she met me at TPAP and she just sat there and talked to me and talked and she kept opening up doors and doors for me. And I've had uh, professors um, uh, uh, that just really, when I was in college, I was not, I'm really not that smart of a person, but they put their heart and effort to me. And I look at, I think of um, uh, Dr. Bill Hernan coming into my office at 10 o'clock at night and sitting there and just going over and over and over all the things that they've done and uh, uh, a coach uh, Brick Haley knowing that I was not a very talented person but he respected me for working the way I did and uh, and then I go back to my uh, my family and my peer advisory group have all kind of helped keep me in the uh, the straight and narrow and make sure I don't get too far off one side or the other yeah yeah you know speaking of Marcia she definitely left us too soon I mean that was a shock when when I found out about that, she she was uh, she was uh, she was a very very special lady, and like I said, I still I think about her all the time and all the things uh, that uh, that she did uh, for our operation. She she knew um, myself, my wife, my sister. We all know her well. She made numerous trips. She was uh, she helped us with our, my peer advisor group and Stacy and Elizabeth's peer advisor group. She was just a a very special woman and a very special person in agriculture. Uh, And uh, she meant a lot to all of us. Yeah, definitely agree. Well, you know, farming can be all consuming, but uh, I hope you have some type of a hobby outside of farming. Well, the the uh, important and they kind of all lead together. My wife and I, uh, before we had kids, especially in, in COVID, we love to travel and we love to eat and drink and Food is in the Delta. You plan everything around your next meal. It, <laughs> that's just how life is. We we have really good food here, and it's not good for you, but it is good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, everywhere we're going, where we're eating, what's the next restaurant, what we're going to have, what we're having three days from now, we plan it all out. So uh, eating is my big hobby, which led to my new hobby, which is running. Because apparently the longer you eat and the older you get, it doesn't work off the way it did. So too much time behind a computer and uh, too many good meals have led me to uh, start to run. And I uh, I ran my first uh, half marathon um, this year, uh, the St. Jude Marathon in, uh, in uh, November and I, uh, or December. And I really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm, I've taken a liking to uh, uh, that, uh, the ability to exercise and what that does. Then I did it for uh, the physical uh, part of staying in shape, but I did not realize all the effects of uh, mentally how good exercise is for someone, especially when you're in a, a business with a lot of stress. It's it's great to be able to get out and exercise and, and get those endorphins running through your system. Yep, yep, totally agree. So, and then uh, what keeps you up at night? You know, I, I, there's two things that I would say that kind of, uh, well, maybe three. I have kids so that they were both of them woke me up last night for some reason. <laughs> I'm not sure why, <laughs> but uh, uh, I can't. I, you know, we run 24 hours a day sometimes during the year. I have guys that are coming in late, truck drivers that are leaving early, so there's always something going wrong, and I always worry about 
uh, the team. So that's that's the one thing that I, I'll get up in the middle of the night and check and see how you guys are getting along. You guys are getting up early in the morning. I want to make sure that I'm always available if something were to happen. So that would be the one thing. It's just their safety and making sure that we've got all things in place or so, if something were to happen, I was available to help uh, guide through whatever that would be. And then <clears throat> I think that, that keeps me up at night, but it's one thing that I was concerned about is as our operation grows, will it outgrow my ability to uh, to run it? Uh, you know, um, we we'll all have limits on what we have for skills and I continue to try to get as much continuing education as I can, but I want to make sure that I can lead our team and be the best uh, leader for everybody as I can to um, 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 take us to wherever this journey leads us. Okay, well, good, good. And then finally, uh, what's your uh, definition of success in farming? You know, I think that's going to be the uh, the, the success of the, of the people that work on the farm, and that would be uh, my family, uh, my immediate family, uh, the people that work here, having them careers, the people that we work with, our our landlords, our uh, input suppliers. It, it's uh, I've always looked at everything as if you and I are going to do business together, Paul. I want to make sure it's good for you and it's good for me. Yep. You can't win every time, and I can't. I can't go in there trying to win every time. I feel like it's got to be good for both of us. So I feel like the success of the operation, successful in farming, is a operation that can continue to grow because of all the successes of the people that work there and the people that are part of that uh, operation, whether they're just a supplier or a supplier of land or inputs or equipment or whatever it may be. Uh, everybody wins. Yeah. No. I and that's a theme that I, I hear time after time from farmers is is the people. It's not the land, although that's important. It's not the John Deere or Case IH International tractor or combine, but it's the people. So I, I think that's that's definitely it'd be my definition too. Yes, yes, I agree. Well, you know, we've come close to the end of the conversation. Uh, you know, that's the questions I typically have. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, to uh, let the listeners know, or are you okay with us ending the conversation? Uh, you know, I'm good there. Uh, I would say, you know, if uh, just a little plug, if uh, uh, we do, like I said, we do our social media stuff. We do the, the Facebook, the Instagram and all that, but we also have a, a, a newsletter that we put out quarterly. And if anyone wanted, they can just go to our website and just put the email address in. We don't sell it to anybody or do anything. We just once a week, we'll, once a quarter, we'll send you a, uh, a PDF four page newsletter what's going on in agriculture what's going on in our operation and uh, uh, we've got all the past from the last 10 years of what we've been doing and uh, we just try to keep everybody informed and I think that's the big thing is if we can continue to tell more people about agriculture the better off we all are and uh, that's uh, that's our little my little last minute plug if someone would like to to get that uh, feel free to sign in or follow us on uh, social media and uh, if you're ever in Mississippi, come by and see us. I will definitely come by and see you. Now, what speaking of the of the website, what what is the actual website for the audience out there? It's a silent shade. That's S I no, I'm sorry. We just we updated it. It's SSPC.ag. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> SSPC.ag. We made it really easy and simple. That's the key. I mean, I remember when we um uh, when I first joined our our CPA firm, or maybe it was after the uh, first merger, we had this email address that was so long and it was so complicated. 
I, I think the more you can make things short, the, the better off you are. Yes, I agree. We, we learned that. So our, our new one's sspc.ag. And uh, that's just, we, we had very long ones to start off with. And then, uh, uh, so we try to make it as simple as we possibly can. Well, Jeremy, this has been a great conversation. I, I thank you for taking time out of your, your day to, to have the conversation. Great talking to you with you, Paul. Okay. Again, this is the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Nieper, your host, signing off.